14, and I'll read a few verses here, and then we'll get into the sermon. When we had come to Jerusalem, the brothers received us gladly. On the following day, Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. After greeting them, he related one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified God, and they said to him, You see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed. They are all zealous for the law, and they have been told about you that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or walk according to our customs. What then is it to be done? They will certainly hear that you have come. Do therefore what we tell you. We have four men who are under a vow. Take these men and purify yourself along with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads. Thus all will know that there is nothing in what they have been told about you, but that you yourself also live in observance of the law. But as for the Gentiles who have believed, we have sent a letter with our judgment that they should abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. Then Paul took the men, and the next day he purified himself along with them and went into the temple, giving notice when the days of purification would be fulfilled and the offering presented for each one of them. You may be seated. You know, as we come again to the book of Acts, chapter 21, where Paul is in this situation right now, is he has been warned time and time again through prophetic utterances that chains and beatings await him in Jerusalem. However, like Jesus, Paul just sets his face like flint and says, no, I'm going there. I'm going to Jerusalem. You know, Paul was walking in tune with the Holy Spirit. He was being led where God wanted to lead him, and he knew it. You know, in verse 10, we read, While we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea, Judea, and coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Paul was not going to be surprised with what he was going to meet with in his future in Jerusalem. However, for him, it was kind of a, oh, this again? It says we've been going through this book of Acts. We've seen where he has been filled with trials, with beatings, people attempting to kill him. But he kept going. He kept diligently going. Why? Why could Paul keep diligently going, and in his case, he knew what was coming? It's 
because he understood the law and the gospel. He understood his great sin. He was a persecutor of the church. And God showed him his sin, the depth of his sin. But also God showed him his grace. And Paul could understand the gospel of grace because he understood that his sins were forgiven. And his being right with God was greater than his own well-being. You know, he said in verse 13, Then Paul answered, What are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Paul understood the depth of God's love because he understood that he was a lawbreaker and that he was forgiven. Again, though, why, why were we given these prophetic messages? It was for the believers around Paul. It was for us to realize that Christianity is not a cakewalk. When we truly love God, there will be times in our lives where we must step out knowing that people will hate us, perhaps persecute us. In many parts of the world, they will kill you or throw you in jail or take your goods. People will lie about us. They will twist the truth. It's part of the Christian life. Paul was living by example, saying, no, what's important are my sins are forgiven. I know the depths of my sin and the depths of God's love. It's a lot different than what we hear today, is God has a wonderful plan for your life. God has a plan for your life, but it may not be wonderful. It may be miserable. But when you understand the depths of your sin and your forgiveness, if you've been given the proper gospel message, you realize, like Paul, that your life is less important than doing God's will. So let's get into the verses for today. When they had come to Jerusalem, the brothers received us gladly. On the following day, Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. After greeting them, he related one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified God. You know, this was a great start for the visit to Jerusalem. Paul is meeting with James, most likely the brother of Jesus, who was the head of the church there in Jerusalem. And they were relaying to each other how great the church had been growing among the Gentiles and in Jerusalem. A great time of fellowship. The church was being established. There was great rejoicing. It was growing among the Gentiles. But saints, this is our history. This is the history of this church. Every church in America, this goes back to here. 
the beginning of the church, spreading out to the far corners of the earth, just as Jesus had said. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church of Jesus Christ. However, it does not mean that we won't be in battles. It doesn't mean that we won't lose some battles. You know, Paul predicted in Acts 20, verse 28, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Paul is giving these churches, these new elders, warnings. You're in a battle, expect it. You have fierce wolves attacking from outside the church. But worse yet, you will have those inside the church trying to distort it, destroy it. And that's what we've seen time and time in the Old Testament Jews or by the time Jesus was walking among them, he called them the sons of Satan because they were so far away from the truth. They loved to add and to take away things not according to Moses' law. This is just for today. Who runs the crisis pregnancy centers? Christians. They're under attack being targeted by the pro aborts. Dangerous attacks. Attacks from without. What attacks the church from within? The sin had just dealt with it. Homosexuality in the church. Homosexual elders. Again, it doesn't change. Satan will attack from without and from within. That is why we must be mature, mature believers and be like the Bereans, check to see if the things are so according to God's word, and then stand firm. Because this will not end, one battle will not finish it. This battle will be our lifetime. Expect it. Expect it. Paul had struggles inside the church here in Jerusalem. Thousands of Jews had come to faith. However, even these believing Jews are listening to rumors, false rumors concerning him. In verse 20, and they said to him, You see, brother, how many thousands were among the Jews of those who have believed. They are all zealous for the law. And they have been told about you that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or walk according to our customs. And the thing is, Paul was not doing that. Paul understood the Jewish law. He pointed to the sacrificial law and said that's pointing to Jesus Christ. 
You didn't tell them not to circumcise their children. What he was teaching them is there is great leeway and freedom for believers. What did he say? He said, for the Gentiles, I became a Gentile. For the Jews, I became a Jew. He understood the different cultures in the world, the different people. But he understood that many of these cultural differences, which are not sin, are permittable. For the Gentiles, it was, you don't have to circumcise yourself or your children. For the Jews, he said, if you want to circumcise your children, go ahead. Go for it. Again, there is great flexibility in believers. And we have to accept the differences as long as they're not accepting sin. We have to stay within the confines of God's law. But in man's sinfulness, one of our things as a human beings, we all like to have the upper hand. You know, we want to be a little better or have somebody under our thumb a little bit. And I think that's what's going on here because remember, the tension between the Jews and the Gentiles goes back a long way. It was settled according to the church and the rules and the regulations, but just because they put those laws or those regulations in place, it does not mean that every Jew or Gentile will accept them or have a change of heart. So what we have here is the Jewish believers causing a schism between themselves and the Gentile believers. Divide the church from within. Divide and conquer. But the Jewish elders recognized this. They saw the schism growing. So they were there at the time of Pentecost, which was the same time as Passover that they were celebrating. So there would be Jews celebrating Passover, Christians celebrating Pentecost. However, many of these Jews who would come, maybe even the Christian Jews, would take the Nazarite vow. That means they wouldn't drink for 30 days, wouldn't shave their, wouldn't cut their hair, pay for sacrifice or some feed of the temple. And then at the end of that, they'd shave their head, sacrifice whatever the sacrifice was, and burn the hair with the sacrifice to show their dedication to the law. So that's what these Jewish elders, they came up with a plan for Paul. You know, let's try to appease these Jews who are listening to these rumors, demonstrate that you still follow the law. And Paul says, yeah, that's fine, so let's listen to that plan. They say, what then is to be done? They will certainly hear that you have come. Do therefore what we tell you. We have four men who are under a vow. Take these men and purify yourself along with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads. Thus all will know that there is nothing in what they have been told about you, but that you yourself also live in observance of the law. But as for the Gentiles who believed, 
We have sent a letter with our judgment that they should abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. Then Paul took the men, and the next day he purified himself along with them and went into the temple giving notice that when the days of purification would be fulfilled and the offering presented for each one of them. Here again we see Paul. He's becoming a Jew to be with the Jews. He wants to bring Jews to Jesus Christ. He does not want their faith to be burdened or damaged by rumor or schism. Again, we have very much, a lot of freedom as Christians. And here, Paul is even willing to pick up the tab for the other four guys. This seems like a good plan. Keep peace in the church. Good plan. It is a good plan. Satan also has his plans. He wants schism in the church. He wants division. And he has his minions who will try to get it, who will try to push for it. Remember, Paul had trouble with a lot of the Jews in Asia and Asia Minor, wanting to kill him, wanting to throw him in prison, spreading rumors about him. Like Paul, we must realize that there are people who hate the church, who hate God, <clears throat> and will travel and bend over backwards to do any harm they can to Christians and to the church. So as we continue, when the seven days were almost completed, the Jews from Asia, now these would be the non-believing Jews coming to Jerusalem, seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, help! This is the man who is teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law and this place. Moreover, he even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. For they had previously seen Tropolis, the Ephesian, with him in the city, and they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. Again, these Satans are agents of Satan. Spot Paul, and right away they want to stir up the crowd. They want to stir up the ignorant idiots or minions, whichever you want to call them, are easily riled up, who are immature, and will just go along with the crowd. They want to damage the church. They're openly hostile to the new church. You know, the tactics of the wicked are always similar. Always similar. Get an evil plan. Convince simple-minded people to follow the plan who won't think, who just react emotionally. Stir it up, get it up to a big enough crowd or a riot. Then silence the opposition so they don't even get to speak so you can promote your wicked plan. I mean, if there was Facebook at the time, 
all would have been taken off. Now, same thing we see today. You see a conservative try to speak at a college, and they won't even let them speak. They just scream and chant. Just like in Ephesus when they chanted, great is the goddess Athena or whatever. Because one of the believers wanted to speak. Just silence. They don't want to hear the truth because their lies cannot stand up against the truth. They'd rather start a riot. But here, they're twisting what Paul is teaching. And that's what they do. They take the truth and they twist it and turn it. There's nothing more irritating than that when somebody takes your words and twists or turns them to be the opposite. I ran commercial construction jobs. It was, seemed to be an everyday thing. How wicked people will be saying you said something that you did not because they only used half a sentence. But that's men. But here they outright lie. Moreover, he even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. Number one, why would Paul do anything to offend the Jews who he's trying to convert? And this is a huge, huge accusation. A serious charge. Remember the temple? There was the Holy of Holies where the high priest could go. Then the holy place, that's where the Jews could go. Then the court of the Gentiles. Well, there was a four foot six wall between the court of the Gentiles and the holy place where the Jews could go. And Josephus, the historian, concurs with this. There were signs on those walls which stated that any non-Jew who entered in here would be killed immediately. These signs were in Latin and in Greek. As a matter of fact, excavations in 1939 found some of these signs. This was a big deal. Capital offense, if you cross that barrier. And remember, the Jews were under Roman rule. That's why they had to have Pilate kill Jesus. They couldn't carry out a capital offense. They would have a trial. Rome would have to have a trial and then have to agree with them. However, with this one law, this one rule, if the Jews found somebody, a non-Jew, in the holy of in the holy place, they could get victim and they'd take him to the Romans and the Romans would not have a trial. They would execute him for the Jews without a trial. It meant that much to the Jews. So what they are accusing Paul of doing is a serious, serious thing. And it appears that if you were the Jew that took him in, you were going to be killed too. But just think about this accusation. You'd be killed immediately if you were in there. Tried immediately, brought to the Romans, and killed. Yet Theopolis is still running around, walking around. Again, you have to have the ignorant minions in order to get evil done. The ones who can't connect the dots. 
If Theopolis would have walked inside the holy place, he would be dead. He's not dead. He's not killed. He's not hanging on a cross. He's walking around. Then all the city was stirred up, and the people ran together. They seized Paul and dragged him out of the temple, and at once the gates were shut as they were seeking to kill him. So now who's the lawless ones? No trial. We're going to do it behind closed doors, and we're just going to kill Paul. No verification of witnesses. This is complete lawlessness. But you see, when you get people worked up into a big frenzy, they'll act on emotion. It's sad. However, you know, we've seen Paul time and time again escape with his life. Time and time again, you know, it's kind of like Gunsmoker that where Festus or Matt are going to be killed every week, you know, and they always get away. It's kind of like, like Paul here. But, you know, that's the Holy Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit protecting him. And that same protection is for us. Our lives, our days are numbered. We can't add a day. We can't add an hour. And our time to check out comes, we're going to check out. It's in God's hands. So why worry about it? The Holy Spirit protects us. We are to stand up for the truth. Things may get rough. People may try to beat us. In other parts of the world they do. People may get killed for their faith. None of it is beyond God's timing or knowledge. Don't worry, the Holy Spirit, God has your back. When he wants it, he'll call you home. But here, word came to the tribune of the cohort that all Jerusalem was in confusion. He at once took soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. And when they saw the tribune and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. Now this garrison was connected by stairs right to the temple. A thousand soldiers there. A tribune was over a thousand soldiers. 750 foot soldiers, 250 on horseback. Why so many? We have to remember, Jewish nationalism was on a rise at this time in history. God was allowing the Jews to be more a pain and a pain to the Romans. Why? It's getting closer to 70 A.D. This is 29 years after they killed Jesus. God was allowing this tension to grow and to brew because it had to get to the point where the Romans would just have enough and wipe the Jews out. It's all under God's control. But a thousand soldiers there, when they saw, saw him coming... These soldiers, they rescue Paul by arresting him. Because they still don't know what's going on, but I'm sure the crowd knows. Then the tribune came up and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with chains, two chains. He inquired who he was and what he had done. Some in the crowd were shouting one thing, some another. 
And as he could not learn the facts because of the uproar, he ordered him to be brought into the barrack. Notice, half the crowd or a good part of the crowd don't even know why they're there. They can't even give an answer who Paul is or why they want to kill him. It's amazing how simple-minded people can get roped into a riot and not even know why they're rioting. Again, you know, you walk around with pro-life signs showing babies and the pro-aborts go crazy. They just won't admit that it's a child. But they're there doing their job, doing their wicked deeds. And when it came to the steps, he was actually carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the crowd, for the mob of the people followed, crying out, away with him. Away with him means kill him. And either Paul was so beaten so badly he couldn't walk up the steps, or the soldiers carried him to keep him away from the people trying to keep pelting him and flailing at him. Most likely both. Now this venomous mob wanted him dead. You know, and 27 years earlier on the same location, there was a mob that was crying, crucify him. Seems like these Jews never learned their lesson. As Paul was about to be brought into the barracks, he said to the tribune, may I say something to you? And he said, do you know Greek? Are you not the Egyptian then who recently stirred up a revolt and led 4,000 men of the assassins out into the wilderness? You know, this guy, he thought Paul was this Egyptian that they were looking for for years. This is confirmed by Josephus, the historian. They got this guy's men, but the guy got away. They were still looking for him. But Paul sets the record straight, and this Roman listens to him. He listens to him. He lets Paul speak. Paul replied, I am a Jew from Tarsus of Silica, or Cilicia, a city of no obscure city, a citizen of no obscure city. I beg you, permit me to speak to the people. And when he had given him permission, Paul, standing on the steps, motioned with his hands to the people, and there was a great hush. He addressed them in the Hebrew language, saying, Saints, this is a miracle. This is flat out a miracle. Wicked crowds do not silence themselves when a believer wants to speak unless it's a miraculous event. Remember I mentioned earlier when Alexander, he wanted to speak to the Ephesians when they were all in an uproar? In chapter 20, and I'll read some of that. Now, some cried one thing again. Listen to how well they know what's going on. Some another, for the assembly was in confusion, and most of them did not know why they had come together. Some of the crowd prompted Alexander, whom the Jews had put forward, and Alexander motioned with his hand, wanted to make a defense to the crowd. So Alexander was a believer. He wanted to make a, a defense to the crowd, and what did the crowd do? 
But when they recognized that he was a Jew, for about two hours they all cried out with one voice, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. That's what the wicked do. They do not want to hear the truth. They cry out. They'll do whatever. Kill the children. Kill the children. Keep your hands off my uterus. It's all the same. Don't let the truth be heard because somebody might change their mind and believe. So this is not normal that this wicked crowd allows Paul to speak. Most of the time the wicked have an agenda and part of that agenda is not letting any truth or facts or God's word enter into the conversation. Silence the opposing view. Again, the Holy Spirit was with Paul. And Paul will be able to give his defense. We'll have to wait till next time to hear that. But what we take away from this is Christianity is not a cakewalk. Expect it. We're in perilous times right now in our nation. Stand up for God irregardless of what happens and what the result is. Share the truth. People will hate you. People will rile against you. They'll burn your clinics down if you're a Christian volunteering to help unwed mothers. What an evil thing to do. Expect it. But also expect that the Holy Spirit is with us. God will open those doors. He'll open doors on an individual basis. He'll open doors on a national basis. And I think we see those doors opening. We see this wicked way the road cast down. Now we have to stand against the local tyrants who want to kill babies. And we must. We praise God in our church, that our church stood for truth. So many denominations caved. It's amazing. I didn't think ours would stand. It did. God has not abandoned the CRC. We cannot abandon God's law. But we must be mature, have an answer, have an answer for those who oppose us, and recognize the times that Christianity is not a cakewalk. But we already won. We already are the victors. Our sins are forgiven. Our debt is clean. We are right with God. And that is what we must understand and always be grateful about. Let us pray. Our Lord and our God, as we come into times in our nation that are perilous times, but there are great victories as well. The gates of hell will not prevail against your church. And as we walk in tune with you, in tune with the Holy Spirit, there is great opportunity for growth and victory in this time of confusion. Lord, let us be the ones who stand up for truth. Let us be the ones who confront error and wickedness. Give us the strength in Jesus' name.